Hello and welcome to History Happened Everywhere. The Verdict. This is our after-show podcast where we look back at our previous episode, Canada. So if you haven't listened to that, skip back, have a listen, uh, otherwise there will be spoilers ahead. I'm going to sit in the comfort chair. Oh! That poor chair. Um, <laughs> I shall have a sip of wine first. Hello, my name's Pete Goddard. I'm here in the studio with my podcasting peer, Ryan Weir. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. And of course, down the line, we have the inimitable Paul Dursley. Oh, Canada. <laughs> that was very sexy. That was strangely uh, arousing. <laughs> oh, Canada, I <laughs> Ding dong. From sea to shining sea. That's the only bit that I know. Although they want to change that, don't they? To from sea to sea to sea. As they should, because there's three oceans. Well, I think that the Arctic Ocean is not really a, a real ocean. What constitutes a real ocean, then? The International Hydrological Organization. <laughs> fair. <laughs> That's a fair, fair point. So, Paul, um, you know how, like, you're super clever? Uh, <laughs> i got some riddles for you. Go on. Let's see, let's see how many you do. If you're running in a race and you pass the person in fifth place, what place are you in? If you pass the person in fifth place, you are in fifth place. <laughs> Very good. Correct answer. David's father has four sons. John, Paul, George and... David. Yes, the right answer. What month has 28 days? Every month. Very good. Straight in. Okay, and last one. If a plane crashes on the border of the USA and Mexico, where do you bury the survivors? Why would you bury survivors? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Mexico. No, I'm going to say the USA because the CIA don't want you to know that this plane crash has happened. So the survivors get buried alive in an effort to keep them quiet about the conspiracy that caused the plane to crash in the first place. For those conspiracy theory lovers <laughs> out there. <laughs> I thought you of all people would have got that right. <laughs> Even I don't believe that one. <laughs> It is normal in these uh, verdict times to give people a little chance to remember what it was we got up to by having a one-minute summary. Ryan, are you ready? No, I didn't write that. <laughs> I completely forgot to write my one-minute summary. I sat there last night going, have I got everything? Is everything ready for like tomorrow, the verdict? I'm like, no. Well, I'll just do it in post. Oh, um, do it in post. It'll be all right in the mix. Canada is big, really big. It's the second largest country in the world, in fact, but despite its size, it's largely uninhabited. Having been occupied for thousands of years by several indigenous peoples, the first Europeans started to colonise the country from the 17th century. Britain remained the principal coloniser, although a French presence remains with both languages considered official even today. In 1867, Canada becomes its own country, expanding into new territories and becoming the ice hockey-loving, maple syrup-slurping people that we know today. Because I couldn't talk about rocket science in this episode, I decided to take a look at some of the other famous expressions for doing things easily, such as it's not brain surgery, 
a piece of cake and easy as falling off a log. I told a sad story about Canada's very first medical doctor and revealed how his life spiralled into a terrible state of affairs. I made Pete a cake using an early 19th century recipe which didn't include any self-raising flour or baking powder, both of which didn't exist at the time. The cake was delicious though and Pete had more than just one piece of it. Finally, I talked about the start of the Canadian timber industry and how early Canadians used to float tens of thousands of logs hundreds of miles from the heart of the remote forest to the nearest towns. I spoke about the dangerous occupation of log driving and how echoes of that occupation remain today with log rolling world champion Abby Hushler telling us how she started a company aimed at making log rolling more accessible to people everywhere and confirming that it really is easy to fall off a log. week's episode done summarized nicely nice one son now we're over to a young dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me he'll take you apart without any care he's the lovely paul dursley the lovely paul dursley that was very impressive thanks so uh, can, can we just clarify something before we start yes we can because I thought we've started. been through this <laughs> we've been through this once before yes there is a difference between a hundred square miles <laughs> and a hundred miles squared wait i is did i say miles squared you said vancouver ireland was something like two thousand miles squared or two hundred thousand kilometers squared Victoria Island, and it's the eighth largest island in the world at 217,000 kilometres squared. Oh, no. And that, of course, is an enormous number. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, it is the second biggest country in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember saying Maybe. that. How funny. And I've listened to it several times. I've been to Victoria around Vancouver Island twice as well. It's quite nice. The island within an island within an island. You sure that's in Vancouver Island? I thought that was in Quebec. Whatever I said in the podcast is where it is. Victoria Island. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So right at the start, the thing that surprised me possibly most was that how recent the first mention of it's not rocket science was you said it was 1985 i think it was 1985 yes. it's the first printed reference yeah and given given how early you discovered that the rocketry was going on it seems amazing that 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 is the first mention of it because even like modern rocket science was thriving sort of after world war ii wasn't it and 85 is really recent yeah um, i i sort of agree with pete but then thinking you know, I've only ever heard this term myself probably for the last 10, 15 years. Uh, I think from, for me, it was, it's more, it's not brain surgery was one I had heard more. I, I think the rocket science is a bit more an Americanism. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, if it's 85, it would have taken time, and that was printed in America, as, as it, yeah. then it would have taken time for it to come across to the UK. But if you think about the golden age of this is difficult science. It was kind of moon landing time, wasn't it? That was, what, 71? 69, yeah. Oh, yeah, 69, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but then if that were the case, it would be, well, it's not astronaut science. Well, we already say, it's not well, if astronaut. we can put a man on the moon, why can't we do insert fairly standard thing here? Yeah, that's true. Which is the same thing, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it surprised me, though, that rocket science was a thing that was happening so early on. 
Well, it's really just engineering and physics. So what is... Well, actually, hang on a second. What is a rocket? What is... How do we define a rocket? Well, I don't know, because I wasn't allowed to look into it. <laughs> so <laughs> you're asking the wrong person here. Well, yeah, because rocket science doesn't really exist. It's just engineering and physics, isn't it? Well, it was sort of... There was a Russian... I think it was either late 19th or early 20th century called Tassiliev, who came up with the Tassiliev rocket equation, uh, which basically defines the rocket being something that uh, is propelled only by its own thrust, or only by thrust generated by itself. But a jet aeroplane is not a rocket, but it's still thrust-based machine. What's the, what's yeah, the difference it's there? An, it's, 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 it's an engine. Well, for a rocket, the fuel itself is within... The energy is within the fuel, and that itself causes the thrust, as opposed to an aeroplane jet engine, which takes the kerosene and then ignites it, and then then that is burnt itself to generate the thrust. But, of course, with an aeroplane, it's the lift and not thrust. Yeah, I thought it was just wings. That would have been... (laughs) Maybe well, it's, it's the wings. It's the aerofoil shape of the wing. Yeah, it, it's it's the ejection of the fuel itself that gives the thrust. Basically, you you compute it by calculating the momentum of the fuel based on the weight of the rocket, which of course is constantly changing because you're burning up the fuel and changing the weight of the rocket. Oh, I see. So this guy in 1800 who created the earliest of these rockets. That, that that was what he was doing, was it? Well, no, because the rocket equation was only discovered or came upon a hundred years a hundred years after that. Whereas ed- everything before was just empirical, wasn't it? The Chinese with their fireworks and their rockets and everything up to there was just empirical. You know, we're banging their stuff in. Will it work? What the equations do is, you know, you can put numbers in and predict what is going to happen. Because yeah. you wouldn't wouldn't you wouldn't really want to go to the moon. Uh, on chance and say oh let's just take this amount of fuel and hopefully it'll be enough (laughs) it's not catherine wheel science is it what's your go-to expression then would you use it's not rocket science Um, well i had to think about these because i've I've missed clearly as you i'm sure you listened to the podcast i misunderstood when you're saying what are other phrases i thought you were asking me to think of (laughs) old-fashioned phrases rather than current ones um, it's not manure spreading or something you said. <laughs> <laughs> manure but that was wrong, wasn't it? Because surely manure spreading itself is easy. Well, I was thinking that in the early days of manure spreading, it was quite challenging and technological, <laughs> yeah. technologically demanding. But then over time, it became quite straightforward. Much the same as one day, brain surgery will be something you do at home. Everyone's that. And everyone, no one would. That would be a weird and archaic expression. We're all just dabbling in brains. Yeah. Um, but uh, so anyway, I, the, after that, when I listened back and thought, oh, I totally misunderstood that, I thought of a couple. So the easiest pie is a lot like easy as, as a piece of cake, easy as pie. Yeah, easy as pie was pie, one that yeah. I was thinking of doing. Is that the implication is presumably eating? Because as you demonstrated, baking a cake isn't actually very easy at all. <laughs> no, but easy as pie, I guess, is straightforward, right? You What, 3.14159? <laughs> It's quite easy to remember, I admit. <laughs> easy as cosine. <laughs> yeah. But like to get some pastry, to put some filling in it and cook that, that's easy to do. You think it's the cooking of the pie, not the eating of the pie that's easy? Yeah. Yes, I would think it'd be in the preparation of... Is yeah. pie, so that's, I want to know from people who bake and make, is pie making easy? Because it doesn't look easy to me. 
I mean, you just said make a pastry just and make a, a pastry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not rising or filling, or anything, right? It depends, isn't it? Because if if you're making a a traditional English pork pie, you have to use sort of very very simple pastry, and you have to have a, a former, and you have to sort of pull the pastry up the side of it before you take the former out, put the put the meat in, and close the top, and that is quite difficult. So another flawed expression. So one of the things we didn't talk about is Malifaux. And famously, George W. Bush is credited with having come up with the saying, it's not brain science or it's not rocket surgery. Mm -hmm. But those are urban myths, as far as I could find. There doesn't seem to be actual evidence that he did say those things. What did you call them? I've never heard of that word. A a Malifaux, like a metaphor, but a Malifaux. So a malformed metaphor, yeah, or I a guess mixed so. metaphor, yeah. or a malapropism. Yep. Okay, I've, I've, I've never heard of that word before. Me either. Yay! Ding, 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 ding! Put it in the bank. <laughs> I'm so smart. I'm so smart. SMRT, SMRT. Uh, well, one thing I do say is if I don't know something, I'll say it. Because then I do know it. But I'll have to check it, though, as... as the source may be slightly dubious. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair point. What were the other ones, Pete? Uh, walk in the park. So I was going to do walk in the park. That was on my list originally. There were no parks in Canada during <laughs> 1800 to 1850. And I, I looked into <laughs> Then I thought, well, there were towns and cities. There were going to be public recreational areas that you could, or gardens that you could walk through. You might promenade in your Sunday best. Right, indeed. And sure enough, in Toronto, I found maps of the period, so 1820 to 1830. And you can quite clearly see gardens which have been designed with pathways through them, uh, but they weren't an actual public park. And I was thinking perhaps there was a story here about how one of those parks still exists today and I could walk you through and tell you some stories about that. That didn't lead anywhere. So it's just an insight into my research. Yeah, this is probably not relevant for the podcast. Yeah, it would have been nice though. I think that would have been a nice little story. I felt like there was a story. Sometimes, Pete, you, you'll you'll appreciate this. When you're doing your research and you think, you think you've think you hit a, a vein of gold and it just stops. Just runs out. That, just runs that out. happens. You think, oh, this is it. This is going to open into a wide vista of stories to tell. And it right. goes, and that's the end of that. <laughs> So the only other expression I could think of was easy as one, two, three. And I'm not sure whether that is even a real expression or I've just got it from yeah. the Jackson 5 song. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anyone actually say that, though, like in the wild. Yeah, I'm not sure oh, I have It's either. as easy as one, two, three. Yeah, because the saying is it's as easy as ABC. Isn't it A to Z? It's easy. It's uh, You take this route. You just go A to Z. No, a thing? Have I be. just made that? You've just made that up. Can we please say it correctly? We are English. Sorry. Alpha to <laughs> Zolta. Um, I, don't, I don't know what Z is. Uh, you'll find that Canada, they call it a Z as well. What about France? Did they say Z? They probably don't have that letter in their alphabet. Are you claiming the French don't have the letter Z? <laughs> well, they do because they do because I worked, I, I, I've occasionally had to work in France um, and their keyboards are not QWERTY, they're ZWERTY. Oh, really? Is that right? 
Also, how yeah. do you think you say Zutalor if you can't yeah. have a Z? <laughs> and Zenadine Zidane, there. <laughs> He's just Enadine Idan. <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy it, though, Paul? Did you enjoy the episode? Um, yes, I did. Cool. I thought you took the subject very well, actually. I was sort of expecting more of other bits of science rather that weren't rocket science. Yeah. But I, I hadn't thought at all of that sort of left field. Okay, that's an idiom. Let's use some other idioms. Yeah. I thought that was I thought that was very good. Oh, thanks, Paul. I was I was unsure whether or not that would work. Even up to the point where I was saying it to Pete, I had a look in my eye of I don't know if this actually <laughs> works as a as a mechanism for this episode or not. I don't know if he's going to say something and I'll be like, oh yeah, I can't use it for that. Well, no, it was a difficult topic, wasn't it? Because in a sense, it was almost too open, wasn't it? It's like, here are a load of things. You could have, you could legitimately have come in and just done a bunch of random stuff, none of which was rocket science, and go, that wasn't rocket science. Mm. But that wouldn't have felt like a coherent piece. I thought what you did was really clever to tie it together. But you also deserve extra bonus points for the incredible loophole of rocket history. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that that, 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 that that was quite good. That was one of the few facts you got right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so what did I get wrong? Well, first of all, the size of Vancouver Island. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, square miles versus miles squared or kilometers squared. Yeah, maybe we need to change uh, that, Pete. Maybe we need a, an agreement that we never mention it in square kilometers. <laughs> we just say units. Yeah. Agreed units. <laughs> <laughs> you said Queen Victoria visited Canada. She never visited Canada. Really? Okay. Yeah, she chose it sitting in Windsor Castle. She was given a list of place names and, and a map and she said, what have that one? <laughs> The internet lied to me. It said that she rocked up there. Nope. That's quite a way to go, I suppose. Well, yes. How old would she have been then? Well, you know, the capital of Canada wasn't set until Confederation, so that would have been about, about 1867. So in, in 1867, she'd been on the throne for 30 years. Albert had died by then, so she was basically a recluse, so she wouldn't have gone out anywhere. Oh, right. She wouldn't have, had, she wouldn't have gone on a at least three-month trip to, North, uh, to Canada. Understandable, given she was a <laughs> grieving widow. Yes, uh, and your assertion that Giovanni Caboto was English was quite interesting. Cabot? Yes. Ooh. I don't even remember who that is. <laughs> John, John Cabot John is an anglicisation of Giovanni Caboto, uh, who was, well, they're not sure whether he either came from Genoa or Venice. I don't know who we're talking about. I can't even remember my own notes. <laughs> Who's Giovanni Cabot? John Cabot. Who's John Cabot? <laughs> no, I can't remember from my own notes. Who is it? John Cabot discovered Newfoundland. 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 Newfound, Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Right. Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> You definitely did. <laughs> there were a lot of people in my episode. <laughs> did you hear that? What? That was the sound of points being deducted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Whoops. Easy come, easy go, right? Yeah. <laughs> Remember it so. coming, did you? <laughs> so, yeah, you said John Cabot, and you, and you did say Englishman, and he's not. Oh. But, I mean, his name does sound English until he's caught by his real name. <laughs> and it sounds less English. Yes. Okay. Sorry, everyone. I am a fool. <laughs> so, um... 
Beaver Wars was another early thing that you talked about in the Cabot areas. Um, we did talk and about I the declared, Beaver Wars. I declared my allegiance to the human side of the Beaver Wars. <laughs> I understand it wasn't wasn't about that. It quite be, can be quite dangerous. Well, I remember when we did Animals of Sweden, that was uh, someone had <laughs> been murdered by a beaver. They did. They got bitten on the leg. That was in England. Got bitten on the leg, bled to death. Point one for the beavers. I mean, their teeth are super sharp. I mean, they, they eat wood, so yeah. flesh was presumably like, like a hot knife through yeah. butter. Al- although, as, as you say, in the Beaver Wars, I think the beavers were exterminated vir- in virtually every country that we needed to ha- wear top hats. Oh, is that what they used for, top hats? Beaver fur were for top hats, yes. Yeah, so that seems to be what and the Beaver hatting. Wars was about. So the Iroquois were an allegiance of different tribes in Canada. And they were the political powerhouse, but they were aware that there was money that could be made from the Europeans by trading beaver fur. Very astute. Very astute, exactly. But they then went out and hunted these things to near extinction. So they then started to look at other territory, which was owned by other tribes. And so that started wars between the Iroquois and these other tribes, which then involved the French and then involved the English. And it just sort of escalated to the point where there was the big beaver war. The French lost. And then the French lost. I still have in my mind, you know, the culminating scene of Braveheart. Yeah. But the Iroquois and the French and the English on one side, and then just this mass of beavers on the other side, and they go charging across the field, yeah. going, Freedom! With loads of like catapults exactly. hewn yeah. from their teeth. On my order, unleash dams. <laughs> unleash the water. <laughs> uh, yeah. But talking of wars, uh, I also mentioned the Seven Year War. Yes. Do you, I mean, do you know much about it? Because we didn't. Well, yeah, the Seven Years' War um, sometimes has been considered the real First World War. Oh, really? Because it was a war that was fought in many different theatres around the world. Basically, it was the English and the French. So anywhere where the English and the French came into contact, there was the war. So it was in India and the Caribbean and New Orleans Mm -hmm. and all the French forts in North America. And then the French lost and had to give it all to us. Right. The weird thing was, was sort of the French initially had loads of land, but very few European settlers in it. So they had huge swathes of land, much more land than was sort of under English slash British control. But the 13 colonies had enormous populations because they were all on the coast. Whereas most of the uh, French thing was up the Mississippi and up through Illinois, French-sounding word as well, up through South Saint-Marie and up to Quebec. So it was sort of the English bit, and then there was a big arc of French bits around it. But the French bits were, apart from in Quebec City, were very, very sparsely populated. Right. So it was difficult to defend. But yeah, no, absolutely. So when we were talking about the Seven Year War, sometimes it's referred to as the Nine Year War as well. Is that just because it was happening in other places at the same time? Yes, because uh, those things have various names. So I think... Uh, and. People will tell me if I'm wrong here, but there was the War of Jenkins' Ear, I think, was a part of the Seven Years' War. Jenkins' Ear? Yes, that was to do with a Spanish and a British pirate, I think. They chopped his ear off and weren't very happy. (laughs) No, I I bet he wasn't very happy. He had his ear chopped off. So the thing that that stimulated for me was this notion of when a war starts and ends. Mm. So there is obviously a thing that is a declaration of war, Mm -hmm. but what? 
is that do you have to sign something to be at war or do you just need to announce it loudly enough do you if the king says okay that's it we are now at war is that is that enough or is there some kind of rule around it i mean if i had to guess i'd say you had to write it down someone somewhere has to hold up a bit of paper with needs to be a minute of some kind yeah (laughs) officially yes but i i think sort of wars do start and then you know the third world war won't be a declared war yeah, I mean, if someone started shooting at me and no one had signed the war thing yet, right? I would still shoot back, which would feel a lot like being at war. Israel and Palestine have been at war for 50 years, but nothing declared since 1967. But war also has a sort of legal framework around it, doesn't it? So, Yes, it does. The, the, the Guantanamo Bay famously was used to, to imprison people. But they weren't prisoners of war because that came with certain legal obligations and rights. Oh, really? Yeah. So they were imprisoned as what? Terrorists, I think. Because they're deliberately not on US soil. Right, yeah. So that they don't get any of the rights of being imprisoned in the US. Uh-huh. So they're in this sort of legal no man's land, which is why they have been able to do more or less what they want. How wonderful. Well, yeah, I th- think about... being sarcastic. <laughs> I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> oh, oh, Also, think about... Colditz and sort of the Great Escape and all, all of all of all of those sort sort of things. They were prisoners of war, and prisoners of war had to be treated a certain way. You know, they had to be accorded their their rank, treated accordingly. So, if no one's and, declared war and they get you, they can do what they want. Correct. Yeah, and so it was basically only if they sort of escaped or were spies could they legally be executed. And so, of course, there was all of the oh, they were running away. We're kind of looking at this through the prism of a Western view as well. I wonder if this is the same, um, you know. Well, I don't think it is a Western view. It's an international law view. No, but and recent. Yeah. I, I wonder in Africa, two tribes go to war. It's unlikely they're going to declare war in that way. Yes. Yes. Uh, sort of. Yeah. You know, what was the Casus Belli of the Seven Years' War? I don't know. What does Casus Belli mean? Cause of the fighting. It's a standard term, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just as basically the 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 war of eighteen twelve you mentioned ended status quo antebellum. So let's talk about Dr. Logie. Ah yes, poor old Dr. Logie. Yeah. How about that? Never heard of, never heard of him. No one's ever heard of him. And and I think that this is this is actually something that I was really surprised about. Because you'd think that Canada's first ever medical graduate would have recognition, right? But he did leave Canada for most of his life, so or well, because he was all of his because life. he was dismissed as a well, doctor. Yeah, rather he was a that's a brush it under the rug incident, isn't it? He was they didn't treat him well at the time, so they're like, mm, let's not look back on that. Yeah. I have a theory that I developed after the show, actually, which was that I now had this notion of uh, William Logie's nemesis. Yeah. A guy who's there going, at this rate, I'm going to be the second doctor in Canada. Right. But <laughs> if I can just get this guy to clear out. So he yeah. used his connections in the medical establishment to say, just make it difficult for him. Don't let him pass the bar. Make him do another exam or something. And then he clears off and this guy's like, now I'm the first doctor in Canada. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I don't understand. There were obviously other medical students. So what, there was a year of just one medical no, student? No, two. Or were... Two. There were two in his year. Ah, more fuel to the nemesis theory. 
Oh, well, yeah, we never know that. So why why didn't they both graduate at the same time? Uh, don't know. The other one was a bit thicker. Yeah. Kept making mistakes. Don't know. But he was the one who graduated. Perhaps the other one was the Buzz Aldrin. He was there at the same ceremony. He was just done seconds. Yeah. So nobody <laughs> Literally him. walked no across the stage <laughs> 30 seconds later. <laughs> nobody reports it. <laughs> Meanwhile, the papers are going mad over William Logie's luncheons. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I did read about this and there was some politicking that was going on in the background. It, it seems that the medical board weren't happy with the university being in a position to just create doctors. And so they wanted to sort of put their mark on it. But the university rightly was saying that a, a certificate saying that the, a medical student has graduated should be sufficient for them to become a doctor, just as it is in many other universities around the world. So there was just an argument that was happening at a higher level beyond poor old Dr. Logie. So uh, after a, a year and a bit of toing and froing and court cases, and I think he obviously got, got a better offer elsewhere and decided to go. Don't need it, do you, in your life? Well, in the short term, maybe, but certainly not the longer term. It's one of those things. You wondered with when when his appeal went his way, if he'd have stayed. Well, yes, indeed. Yeah, had he, he stayed. He probably then would have been better known. Maybe. And he yeah. probably wouldn't have lost children to the Civil War because he wouldn't have been in the United States. Could have been very different. Could They could have got caught up in a different kind of war. Or, um, beavers could have gone. You just don't know. <laughs> the beavers, you've got to watch out for those. But now in terms of like Dr. William Logie and how he's remembered today, I did read that there was a prize that the Canadian Medical Association Journal offered out during 1981 to 99. Um, and that was as like a, a prize, a contest for medical ethics essays. So you could enter your essay and potentially win a Dr. William Logie prize. So you can say most cholera cured or something. <laughs> yeah, but there's been no mention of him. So where did you from find him? Uni- from McGill University, there's no mention of him. You'd think they'd at least make a building after him or something, right? I thought the way that the story was was going was he would, he would sort of be the first to graduate and then sort of went off to this party and sort of choked on the food or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then, there were, then, there, then there were no qualified doctors to deal with him. Is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> <laughs> Raise his hand. So we're going to talk about logs then? I think we should talk about logs. All right, let's talk about logs. I love logs. I thought that all that log stuff was really good. I'm uh, I'm just, it's hard to imagine spending 14 hours a day just rolling on a log because that, when you see them doing it, and yeah. obviously I watched Abby do her log rolling as oh, well. Oh, you did? Great. Um, you know, it's it's continuous, isn't it? There is no standing still at all. Mm. It's absolutely well, continuous can't because movement. you'd fall off. You would fall off, yeah. And that's something interesting that I, I neglected to ask Abby, actually, which is like, what's the perfect size for a log? Because I imagine if you were to run on a giant redwood, the thing's hardly going to move, right? Paul, you're the physics guy. Well, it wouldn't it wouldn't spin that much, would it? So the so the the larger the girth, the slower it would spin. <laughs> so you could stroll. You could stroll on a giant redwood. redwood. Right, so I guess that the larger the log, the less effort that you're going to have to put in, right? Girth means distance around. I circumference. Then, if you if you don't like me saying the word, no, girth. I love the way I just love you saying the word girth. 
Um, so yeah, I thought that that fourteen hours without ever being able to stop, presumably, is quite a quite a thought. Well, they did stop because they had uh, they had lunch on their wagon. Yeah, but I mean, they had meals four times a day. Yeah, when you do a post round, say you mm-hmm. walk and then you stop, and you post a couple of letters, and then you walk and then you stop. Yeah. If you do the bins, you walk and you do the bins, and you wait while they put them in the back of the van. <laughs> You know, all these things have a start-stopness. There is no stop in other than an actual break. Yeah. You've always got to be on your log. But I'm kind of curious how even a break works. Well, I, I th- I'm, I'm not sure because, you know, you do that and you would have a break or something because you would get knackered. So don't you just sort of sit and straddle the log for five minutes to get your energy up and then stand up again? It must be like surfing, you know, jumping up and getting on the log ready to roll it down Is that again. an option? Have a seat and surf it down? Can you sit on a log? I don't think you can. I would have thought you'd keep roll. moving. Wouldn't the log roll? You, ca- you can't run or walk continuously for 14 you hours. You definitely can. No, I'm sure what you could do is you could ju- hop off onto the bank, the riverbank. Yeah, I mean, let's so say you have a lunch break. So then how would you break, hop back but... on to the log? Oh, and you've walked for 14 hours, haven't you? Uh, not for 14 hours continuously, no, that's a long time. It's possible if you do it every day. You could easily do it. Not I mean, these easy. guys l- l- these guys were fit, right? Let's not let's not misunderestimate. Misunderestimate? What does that mean? <laughs> I wondered if he was going to pick that up. Of course he's going to pick it up. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pet. You are. Well, well yeah, what, what does misunderestimate Don't mean? know. I understand underestimate. Don't underestimate it. Which is, I think, what you meant to no, say. No, I didn't. I meant to say <laughs> misunderestimate. Okay. Um, so talking of trees and log rolling, do you think you'd be able to give it a go? Like, how long do you think you'd be able to stand on a log for? No is the simple answer. I think I think Pete was right. <laughs> <laughs> I think the hard part of log rolling with Paul Dursley would be explaining to Paul Dursley why he should get off this perfectly functioning shoreline and get onto a wet, slippery log. Exactly. I sort of agree with you in terms of it will be a better Olympic sport than most of the rubbish that they put in it now. I mean, you know who's won. There's no judges. You know, you, the right? one who fell in the water lost. The one who didn't fall in the water won. Yeah. And uh, yes, it's it's, it. it's it's a it's a purely objective thing, isn't it? Because they put all of these stupid subjective things in. You know, did you do a difficult move? Doesn't matter. Are you in the water or not? Then you won. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a crowd pleaser. I think it is as well, and I, I think. She really made a strong case. I was quite won over by it, having started reasonably sceptical. Mm. The other part of it was just imagining all these people driving around with their gigantic logs strapped to the top of the car <laughs> to go training. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to go and work for a timber merchant, right, back in those days. Which bit are you going to be working on? I'll be cooking on the raft. You'll be on the wagon, right? Yeah, I think so. I'd own the company, doing bugger <laughs> all, and getting all the money by selling the oak to the Royal Navy. dangerous must it have been to dry your flour because if you waft flour up into a fine dust it explodes oh it's very very explosive i've seen people make custard powder bombs one of the steps in the very quite tricky act of baking a piece of cake Mm. was to dry your flour 
It was, yeah. By the fire, I think. Yeah, along with spices as well and sugar and stuff, yeah. So that implies that you've got your flour just in front of an open flame because you're drying your flour by the fire. I guess so, yeah. So now if you waft flour into the air in sort of dust form, Mm -hmm. it is incredibly, literally explodes. Bakeries blow up because of this. Why is that, Paul? Well, well, actually, think, think of it like this. Think of it's very difficult to burn a book. Because if if you try to burn a book, the the ratio of surface area that's that's actually to the oxygen which aids combustion is very low. But you take each page out; it's very easy to burn a page. Yeah. And similarly, once the flour is in bulk, the surface area is relatively low. Okay. Compared to when it's dust, the surface area is enormous. The surface area to volume ratio of the pile is lower than the surface area to volume ratio of a set of particles. Yeah, think of a ball bearing and you have a pile of ball bearings. The air only sees the ball bearings on the edge of the pile. Yeah. So if you have if you have 100 ball bearings, you might only see the surface of 20 of those ball bearings because all of the ones in the middle are hidden. Okay. So if you explode them, well, I say explode. If you made them separate ball bearings, then you'd have hu- the hundred ball bearings would all be uh, exposed to the air. So the surface area is much greater. Well, actually, the surface area itself, actually, of the pile might be higher, but it's not the surface area that's important. It's the surface area to volume ratio. Mm. Okay. So in one of the Bourne movies, he's being chased by these guys and he runs through this abandoned bakery and he he turns on an electric fan to waft all the flour up into a cloud mm-hmm. and he sets a, I can't remember what, something that would cause a uh, fire mm-hmm. and he runs off and it blows up and the baddies get blown up because of the flour exploding. Okay. Um, well, that's not a very good bakery because why would a bakery have a fan that could possibly do that? It was an abandoned bakery and he was born. <laughs> so that that's... What, what actually made me think of it. And okay. uh, then the thought of saying, well, take this flower, which if you sneeze on it, <laughs> will explode, put it right in front of your fire, it struck me as a colossally dangerous thing to do. But not if you keep it just in a pile in front yeah, of the Yeah, if it's fire. just in a pile, it's all right. But if you were to just scuff your foot through it and whoop something into or, the, yeah. the big breeze, gusts it up into the air. Then yeah, the door the door opens and a gust of, gust of wind comes through. You've got a bomb on your hands. Yes. Yeah, so it, that implies that they didn't just leave it in a bowl sitting by a fire, right? They must have had some other mechanism to dry it. Well, they, they would have had a proper <laughs> drying apparatus, whatever yeah. it is. So the, the actual flame would be miles, of, well, I say miles, <laughs> would be a considerable distance away from um, the surface and the heat would be channeled to dry the flour. Yeah. Or, e- or even saying that, natural air. Look at how, how do they dry wheat nowadays. They just leave it in a barn over time. And as long as the rain can't get in over a number of months, it'll dry. I mean, I struggle making dinner for myself. I think I want something and then an hour later I'm not. I'm not really convinced anymore. Having to plan three days ahead is uh, beyond me. But for delicious cake at a time where, you know, you're just eating swede or rabbit or whatever, I think you'd probably go at that extra effort to have the sweet. I think you can assume you'd want a cake. Well, don't don't forget sugar was an incredible luxury, so they wouldn't have had sugar. Yeah. They had maple syrup. It was a tasty old cake, though. Well, yeah, in Canada, they would have <laughs> could have used maple syrup, yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Overall, we have understood that Ryan has done a pretty pretty good job in various ways, but all of that is just talk. Talk is cheap. Letters get recorded on the spreadsheet. So what is, Mr. Paul Dursley, for Ryan's Topic of Canada, overall grade? I am going to give you a B plus. B plus. That's the hecking hecton. That's a good grade. I'm taking it. I'm going to high five you for that. Thanks. Thank you very much. Wow, a B plus. You you know, it it might have been an A minus if you got the facts right. Yeah, I I wanted to understand whether or not you were influenced at all by Abby's request that you give me a good grade. No, but it, but the positive was you actually got somebody to talk to you. It's nice to have a character witness, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, because normally the only other person who listens to me is Pete and he can't stand me. I find you very tiresome. And that brings us to the end of our Canadian adventure. But it doesn't bring us to the end of History Happened Everywhere, because next week, Pete, it's your job to bring us a veritable smorgasbord... A smorgasbord? ...of, of, <laughs> of, of, of uh, conga-lining Brazzaville Yes, fact. yes, I will... Um, oh, f- uh, the French Congo. Yes, yes. yes. I learnt a really important thing about uh, the Republic of Congo this week. Oh, yeah, what's that? Uh, uh, no spoilers. Um, it's that it's not the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, <laughs> well, that's in which I had discovered quite a number of interesting things that I was going to bring before I realised <laughs> that, in fact, it was the wrong country entirely. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, cap- the capitals are almost the same. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you, you could not have designed a thing that was more likely to make me spend hours researching the wrong country, uh, and lo, I fell into that trap. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Desolator. It's great. It's places I've never heard of. Certainly places that I'd never heard of too. So that's the purpose of this. That we're always learning something. Right. So next week, it's Congo, Brazzaville. Uh, in what years? 95 to 2000, right? Correct. 95 to 2000. So nice and recent. Mm-hmm. And courage. Courage. I feel that it's going to be a bit of a downer episode. You may be surprised. I can say Oh, no Okay. Oh, interesting. Very good. Courage. It better not be a downer with the words courage. Well, the problem with courage is, of course, it requires adversity. So there will be adversity, inevitably, yeah. uh, because without adversity, you cannot have courage, can you? Sure, you've got to fight against something. Right? As the Game of Thrones guy says, can you, be afr- can you be brave if you're afraid? That's the only time you can be brave. I love that. That was a great way to end that section. <laughs> nice one, Pete. I look forward to next week. I do too. Right, that's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. As ever, if you'd like to get in touch with us about any of the things we've talked about, you can get us on all the social media at HHE Podcast, or you can email us at hhepodcast at gmail.com. You never know, we might feature you on a future show. That's right. And, uh, you know, one way to definitely feature on an episode of History Happened Everywhere or The Verdict is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'll mention it here. Um, it's this the podcast is free and we do this 
with love in our hearts. And it would be great to hear from you to let us know where we're going right and where we're going wrong. So do get in touch. Uh, obviously, we'll be back next week with a new place, time and topic. And if that's not enough, uh, we've got a growing archive of old shows which you can download and listen to as you see fit. Go to hhepodcast.com uh, or to YouTube or to your podcast provider and you can find them all there. So, Paul, thank you very much for joining us as ever, gracing us with your presence. My pleasure. We love you, Paul. <laughs> oh, dear. And all that remains to say is, you've been listening to History Happened Everywhere. The Verdict. There are 30 cows in a field and 28 chickens. How many didn't? 30, 30 cows. There are 30 cows in a field and 28 chickens. How many didn't? Oh, I see. You're using the how many didn't eat chicken. Yeah, it's quite good, isn't it? Yes. I'm just disturbed by the thought of cows eating chicken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's not think about that one. <laughs> <laughs>